Welcome to this episode of the Greenville Oaks Message Broadcast. The mission of the Greenville Oaks Church of Christ is to inspire people to follow Jesus because we are convinced that following Jesus is the best way of life possible. Find out more about Greenville Oaks or connect with us online at greenvilleoaks.org. As always, we ask that you subscribe to, rate, and review our podcast. It makes it easier for others to find us. And now, on to this week's message with Lead Minister Colin Packer. begin the message this morning. Thank you to the band for this morning's worship. Wonder is one of my favorite uh, songs. Reminder of what God's done. And really, I think we started with that week one in the story. So we're walking through the creation story and the wonder of creation. And now we're 31 weeks later and we're walking through the book of Revelation. And so I'm excited this morning to open up uh, in this final week of the story. And then I'll tell you at the end of today's message what's coming up this summer as we look into the, uh, the weeks ahead. Today is, like I said, the final week of a 31-week journey through the story. We start in chapter 1 in Genesis. We're in chapter 31, walking through the book of Revelation. How many of you would say this morning, I'm curious, that Revelation is your favorite book in the Bible? We had a couple in first service. I'm curious here in second. I don't, I don't see any hands. Oh, maybe one hand in the back there in second service. Maybe two here. I'm so glad to hear that because uh, the truth is I have never preached a sermon with a uh, through, like a series through the, the, the book of Revelation. I, I know I've touched on it and read from the book uh, a few times, but uh, this morning is kind of new territory that I'm treading, even though I'm grateful for having a whole class with Dr. Ian Fair at ACU. I remember that class was such a blessing to me. This is an important book. It's a different kind of book. And I have to confess, I've kept this book at a distance in my ministry for a, a couple of reasons. One is it can be just flat hard to understand. There's bizarre images of strange creatures, symbolic numbers like 666, people eating scrolls, bottomless pits, the four horses of the apocalypse. There's just some strange stuff in this book. And that leads to the other reason, which is this book has been used and abused, particularly in the past few decades, as we hear uh, different ideas about what this book may mean. How many times is Revelation used as a tool to try to discern what date the end of the world will come? Some of you remember back in 1988, that being a year when a lot of people were saying this is the year 2000, right? With Y2K or 2012, there were predictions about that. History's littered with failed attempts to use the book of Revelation in order to predict when that final day might come when Jesus will return. And how many times has Revelation been used to show how Prince Charles or Gorbachev or one of the U.S. presidents, Saddam Hussein, even Lady Gaga must be the Antichrist, right? No other book in the Bible has had more obsession, has sparked more obsession and strange teaching and wild speculation about the end of the world is this book. But did you know that this is the only book in the Bible 
that specifically promises a blessing to those who read it. Turn with me, if you would, to the book of Revelation, chapter 1, verse 3. And I want you to listen to the blessing this book is intended to be to us as the readers. Blessed is the one who reads aloud the words of this prophecy, and blessed are those who hear it and take to heart what is written in it, because the time is near. See, this very last book of the Bible isn't meant to confuse us. It's meant to bless us. So let's seek out that blessing together this morning. Let's pray as we open to this book. God, we thank you for all of your scriptures, for the ways that your Holy Spirit inspired those who wrote these words and continues to inspire us as the readers to apply these words to our lives. Now you say that whoever hears these words and puts them into practice is like the wise person. But whoever hears these words and it just lets them lay and doesn't let, let them affect our lives. That That's foolishness, God. So God, we want to be wise people today. So I ask this morning, you would pour through me the gift of preaching so that Christ would be formed in our hearts. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Well, let me begin with a confession. From 2003 until 2012, There was a place where Holly and I were on Sunday evenings, and it wasn't at church on Sunday evenings. It was on our couch watching, of all things, Extreme Makeover Home Edition. And I'm guessing some of you were there as well. Do you remember the show? Ty Pennington and his crew would select a special family that had experienced some kind of hardship whose home could use some fixing. They would send them on a vacation, and when they returned back home after about a week, uh, they would get a reveal of a brand new home. My favorite part of the show, though, was the reveal, right? You remember how that would happen? They would they would come home after that vacation, and there'd be a bus parked in front of their house, and they'd, they'd wait for this big reveal to happen. You remember the phrase they would say before that bus would move? Yeah, well, I kind of revealed it. Move that bus. That was the line. They would chant this, and then they would, they would cry tears of joy. They would hug each other's necks, and they would get to explore their home for the first time. I think that scene from Extreme Makeover Home Edition is the perfect illustration of what the book of Revelation is up to. Listen as I read the opening of this book in Revelation 1, verse 1. The revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place. He made it known by sending his angel to his servant John, who testifies to everything he saw. That is, the word of God and the testimony of Jesus Christ. Now, in the Greek, the first three words in this book of Revelation are apocalypsis, Iesu Christu, simply the apocalypse of Jesus Christ. Now, the word apocalypse has, has some pretty dark uh, understandings, maybe based on movies we've seen or just a, a cursory glance at the word. But in the Greek, it actually means revelation or revealing, the revelation of Jesus Christ. So this book is actually the revelation, the revealing. It's what John saw as he was uh, receiving this revelation from Jesus about the life that they were to live in that current moment, about the reason for the hope that they should have. It's like that moment when the family has the bus moved and all of a sudden they see and it's revealed the home that they're going to enter into. But imagine if that family in that moment was asked by reporters, put into words what that experience is of seeing your home for the first time and walking into it. It might be hard for them to do it justice with their words. And that's what John's trying to do. John has seen this vision 
uh, this unveiling, this revealing of what it will one day be like of where God is of the throne room. And, and he tries to put into words, but words are a challenge when we see visions such as this. All right, let's get into the book. Revelation 1, verse 9. I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus, was on the island of Patmos because of the word of God and the testimony of Jesus. On the Lord's day, I was in the spirit and I heard behind me a loud voice like a trumpet, which said, write on a scroll what you see, send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea. These verses tell you a little bit more about the context of John reading this. He's been exiled uh, by the Roman Empire to an island known as Patmos, where he's living out the remainder of his days. If, uh, tradition tells us that most, if not all, of the rest of the disciples died. Of course, we know Judas uh, by suicide after he denied Jesus, but after or betrayed Jesus. But after that, everyone else except for John seems to die a martyr's death. But John gets to live to an old age. And in his later years, he's there on the island of Patmos and he has this revealing of, of heaven, of what he gets to see. And he shares that in this book. And he's writing during a time of great suffering for Christians. This was during the reign of Emperor Domitian, who was the first Caesar who declared himself a god while he was still living. This was the time when it was common for those in the Roman Empire to proclaim Caesar is Lord. It was their way of showing allegiance, of showing that their devotion is to Caesar because he's the divine one. And it was also in that time that Christians had another phrase that they would say. They would say that Jesus is Lord. And that was to counter this, this blasphemy of the Caesars to say that they're actually divine beings. Jesus, this pro- proclamation of Christians was to say, no, we believe that Jesus is Lord. And as a result of that, there was great pressure, persecution, because they were standing up against the religion and the empire of that day. So the pressure was rising for followers of Christ to accommodate to the Roman Empire's conviction that Domitian was Lord, but the persecution of Rome wasn't the only thing they were dealing with. They were also being seduced by the Roman culture of their day in several ways. They, believers were being seduced by the godless government of the empire, defining for them what is right and what is wrong. Believers were being seduced by false religion of the empire, telling them that Domitian is Lord. Believers were being seduced by the hedonistic lifestyle of the empire as well. So many believers were struggling to be loyal to Jesus in the midst of persecution on the one hand, but also the seductive lure of uh, the Roman Empire and the culture that it brought. So in other words, it's pretty far and removed from our current experience, right? Well, maybe this word has something to speak actually in the 21st century. So John has this encounter with Jesus and the book of Revelation is a story of what he saw and Jesus, what he tells them to share with the seven churches that are spread in Roman cities that were facing either persecution or this seduction. And this past week we read uh, what he has to say to each of the churches in the book of Revelation. There's seven churches. This would be a great series that someone else ought to take up at some point and just walking through those letters to the churches because there's words of, of encouragement to some, but all of them receive some kind of instruction or challenge. Jesus wants to encourage us and, and those first believers to, to remain steadfast in their loyalty and faithfulness in the face of what they're, what they're encountering. And here's what I want you to notice. Contrary to popular perception, the primary purpose of Revelation wasn't to speak to people then about the end of the world 2,000 plus years later. It was to speak into their world, into the present moment. 
So reading Revelation to learn about the end of the world and connect the dots is about like uh, trying to freeze a pie in an oven or bake a pie in, in a freezer. That's not what they're intended to do. This book wasn't written to help us make charts for the future, to try to predict the end of the world, but to help us make choices in this world, in the midst of the world we live in. So how does this book do that? Well, it's important to also think about the original readers of this book. It's important to consider the genre of this book because it's written very differently from the genre of much of the rest of Scripture. Now, if you remember back a few years ago, I had a bookcase on stage. For those of you who were here, we walked through the different books of the Bible, a series about the Bible. And we talked about how there are different genres when we come to Scripture. There's history and there's poetry. There's the Psalms, there's, there's wisdom literature, there's the prophets, and then there's the story of the early church, the story of Jesus, the gospels. All of these various genres speak in different ways, and it's important to know what genre we're in. For example, you would read a research paper very differently than you would read a love letter. And yet the word chemistry might be in both of those contexts, right? But it's a very different context in a research paper than you would use the word chemistry in a love letter. Much of Revelation is in the genre of what's known as apocalyptic literature. As I said earlier, the word apocalyptic simply means revelation or revealing. Revelation is God's unveiling of things for John. And God is pulling back the curtain of heaven for God, for, for John to be able to see a spiritual reality that often gets missed in the physical world. But it also lets us know that the physical and spiritual world are not set apart. They're not far distant from one another. They're, they're always intertwined with one another. The behind all temptations that seek to seduce us, the temptations of pleasure, money, fame, power, or behind false religion or godless government, behind the persecution that happens in a believer's life is the work of a spiritual enemy, a beast, a dragon in the language of Revelation. So there's this spiritual war that's going on all around us all the time. And one of the ways that apocalyptic literature does this is with the use of symbols and imagery. I mean, think about it this way. If you're being persecuted, like people across the world are today, it'd be very dangerous to just directly make a, a, a pronouncements against the, the government at that time, right? Or against uh, some of the heresy that's going on with Domitian. And so what they do is they write with imagery and symbols. When they're speaking about Rome, they'll mention the history with Babylon uh, as they were in exile that they refer back to. So all of this imagery is to point to a, a point that John's trying to get at in that moment. Think of it this way. Revelation's more Tolkien than it is technical. It's more Lord of the Rings than it is a how-to manual. It's more a picture. It's something you've got to use your imagination with. And we get trouble when we try to dissect every image and try to determine what they might mean. But there is a message in Revelation that we need to hear. So I want to pick up in Revelation chapter 4, verse 1, as we listen again to this book. John says, After this I looked, and there before me was a door standing open in heaven, and the voice I had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, Come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. And once I was in the Spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven with someone sitting on it. So after the letters are handed out and John gives some context to what this letter is all about, he says, I saw something. What I, the first thing I saw was this throne. And the important part about the throne is someone is sitting on the throne. You, you think run, Rome is running the world, but John's here to declare that no, 
Someone's on this throne and it's not Caesar. You think that Washington's calling the shots and Revelation would say, no, there's, there's someone else actually on the throne. John says, despite the appearances of the way things are, God is on the throne. You're not on the throne and nor am I. And the Christian life is ultimately this acknowledgement to say that someone else is on the throne and however that one on the throne has designed the world to be, has given us regulations and rules and commands, that's the best way of life we could possibly live because this is the reign we live in, the reign of God. And this one on the throne has an agenda and we're to be about that agenda. And yes, there are still problems and plagues and difficulties despite Christ being on the throne. But the promise is in the end, there's someone sitting on the throne and it's Jesus. Yes, the beasts are terrifying. And yes, at times it looks like evil will win. And before the beast is defeated and thrown into the fiery lake of burning sulfur, there are going to be moments where it seems like good is going to lose in the end. But the message of Revelation is this. Things are not what they seem. In the end, God wins. Truth is going to prevail. God and good will defeat evil. And church, that's not always easy to believe, is it? I mean, we read it and we, we, we somehow have professed it if we've become followers of Jesus. But if you look around the world, it sure looks like other things are winning. In this world, death often wins. In this world, mourning and tears are all around. In this world, injustice reigns. In this world, widows and orphans live in distress. But John has eyes to see the truth. And he wants us to have revealed for us this same impossible truth that in the end, evil will not win. One of my favorite preachers and professors, Randy Harris, who, who's actually going to be preaching here at Greenville Oaks in June uh, as I'm out on sabbatical, uh, is, is going to come and he's going to share, probably not from the book of Revelation, but one of the things I love is what he says about the book of Re- Revelation. You can pare it down to really three things. He says, Jesus wins. You have to pick a side. Don't be stupid. <laughs> I like that, right? God wins in the end and you do have to take a choice which side you're going to land on. But this is not a hard decision. But the final revelation ends with the most beautiful picture of the life that's still to come. We've been through such ups and downs through this journey of, for 31 weeks. We've seen just the failures of saints and sinners all through this story of heroes and villains. But this story was all the time heading toward this beautiful ending. It still is in our lives. And it's pointed to in Revelation 21 and 22. And so I want to turn your attention there as we close this morning in this series. I want us to end with this picture of what's to come, the promise of God. Revelation 21, beginning in verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice in the throne saying, look, God's dwelling place is now among the people and he will dwell with them. They will be his people and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then chapter 22, verse 1. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb down the middle of the great street of our city. 
On each side of the river stood the tree of life, bearing the twelve crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and the Lamb will be in the city and His servants will serve Him. They will see His face and His name will be on their foreheads. And finally, the last two verses of this entire story. He who testifies to these things says, Yes, I am coming soon. Amen. Come, Lord Jesus. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with God's people. And all God's people said, Amen. One day there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. God will make everything new. There is a world on its way where, where grace and equity and justice and righteousness will reign on the earth. And no matter what generation you live in or nation you come from, there's a common desire we all have from God. And I think it's this to say, move that bus. <laughs> reveal to us what our future home will look like. We have a desire for God to reveal the world as it will one day be. And while we wait, God is calling on us as his church to put on display this future. I don't remember growing up hearing much, as much, nearly as much about the future as I did about the past. Because we, we, we come from churches of Christ, this group of churches. It's the restoration movement. And restoration is about what? It's about restoring things back to the way they once were. And that's a beautiful picture about that church in Acts and how things were when the Spirit came down on Pentecost. But that vision about restoration isn't just about going back to a past moment. It's about going forward to the future that God has for us. And this is the beautiful picture of what it means to be ambassadors of Christ. When we're ambassadors, what does that mean? It means that we're living in a nation that's not really our home. And and we're living in that other nation in order to signify and to symbolize and to, to show people what it's like in the world where we come from. And that's what God has been calling a community since Genesis 12 to do. Is I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make your name great. I'm going to bless those who bless you and curse those who curse you. That's what he told Abram. And then he says, but all peoples are going to be blessed through you. And all through the story, we've seen this challenge of the people of God trying to live out that vision, trying to live as a contrast community, live differently than all the rest of the world around them. We ought to live in such a way that people look at us and go, that's a little odd. But over and over again, what did we see in this story? First Samuel 8, you remember that story? We want a king like all the other nations. This community was supposed to be a contrast. It was to live differently. They end up wanting to live like everyone else. And it doesn't go well. And they end up in exile. And they're called back through Jesus to a new way who reveals the kingdom of God. And, and then in the, the story of Acts, we see the Holy Spirit come down. And, and Jesus said, you're going to do even greater things than these. This is the calling of the church in this time and in this day. Not to live as ambassadors who reflect the way things currently are, but to live as ambassadors of another land. We are citizens of another place. And like the exiles in Jeremiah 29... We're supposed to settle down, to have sons and daughters, to build, plant vineyards. We're supposed to live for the good of this city, but we live in tune with a future that is not yet here. And this is the encouragement I want us to see at the end of this story is it is our job to live as if the future is already here in the present because we are people of the future. 
We're people of the kingdom of God who don't fit in in this place. And that is what entices people into the kingdom of God. It's when they look at us and they go, you don't seem like you're from this time. You don't seem like you fit with these people. And that was always the vision of God. And that is the gift that God has given us in Revelation as a reminder to the churches there that remember your first love. Remember what God is up to. Remember that Caesar's not actually Lord. Remember all these things and live into that future. That's our opportunity, church, is to do just that. I want to be there in the new heavens and the new earth. Don't you? God wants a full house and, and there's enough room in the new Jerusalem for everyone who desires to be there. Let's live as if it's already here. Amen. Let's close in prayer today. God, I thank you for the story, for the way that it invites us into a, a way of life, a way it invites us to realize and recognize that even though we are sinners, we're also saints. Even though we're often villains, we also can be used as heroes because of what Jesus has come to do on our behalf and model for us and because of the Holy Spirit's work in our lives. God, I pray we can be that community, that contrast community that doesn't ask, can we have a king like all the other nations, but focuses our attention on the new community and new humanity you're bringing on the new Jerusalem, that you're going to restore all things. God, we want to be a part of that restoration. We want to be a part of that future. We want that future to come now. And so we pray like Jesus taught us to pray. May your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. While we wait on the new heavens and the new earth, as we wait on this heaven you promised to bring, we put ourselves to work as ambassadors in your kingdom. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. The end of this journey through the story provides us with a happy ending to a story filled with ups and downs, saints and sinners, heroes and villains. In the end, there will be no crying, no more tears, no more pain or mourning. We look forward to that day. God is making all things new. So come, Lord Jesus. Go in peace today. Thank you for listening to this message from the Greenville Oaks Message Broadcast. We hope this message helps you to inspire people to follow Jesus because you're convinced, like we are, that following Jesus is the best way of life possible. Make sure to give us a rating and review on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or Stitcher. Discover more about the Greenville Oaks Church online at greenvilleoaks.org.